either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Back from vacation, rested and ready to go. Hope you didn't miss us too bad, but uh, you know, when vacation for us, that means not watching any movies. We didn't so, see any, uh, not a one. Nah, so we can't talk about The Lion King, but by now that's old news. We'll talk about some new stuff. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and really just one big one opening across the country this, this week, and it's a faded television actor and his stunt double striving to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles, once upon a time in Hollywood. All right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. Well, it has been. On August night and the leaves hanging down and the grass on the ground. Here I am, flat on my ass. Who, who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. Charlie's gonna dig you. In this town, I can all change like that. Well, this is, as they've been saying in the trailers, in the advertising, the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. And it's weird because starting to talk about any film from Quentin Tarantino, I almost go into it thinking, well, everybody's seen every movie from Quentin Tarantino. And that's not the case, but he, he inspires, especially in us, such, such fandom and such interest in everything that he does. It's hard to kind of step back and realize, okay, maybe everyone is not like this. But we've been looking forward to this for a while. Well, I feel like, you know, we can't be the only ones. Because oh, no. during the summer blockbuster season, it is not uncommon for a movie to be the only major film that comes out in a weekend. It is uncommon for an R-rated movie. Usually if an R-rated film is being released, even in the summer, somebody will, will put out a family film right. or something. Not this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a ghost town out there this week. Yeah. And so people were expecting the newest from Quentin Tarantino to really make a splash. They're probably feeling they're going to get second week for The Lion King, but uh, and it did make a buttload of money. It did. So they might be having that from the family angle. Mm-hmm. But I get you. That's a good point. But uh, Quentin Tarantino's back. And this one as we get into it, I think one of the things I took away from it is that longtime Tarantino fans will certainly see a lot of familiar traits, familiar yeah. Tarantino-isms, yeah. I think, as we called it in our written review. Uh, but also, this one feels a little bit of an outlier to to the rest of his uh, resume, I think. I think uh, there are a couple of things that you're that you don't find that sort of um, machine gun dialogue. Especially, right. usually you've got a big group mm-hmm. and everybody's like shoot. That doesn't Not happen. Here. No. Almost every scene is two people, two right. people talking, and uh, so which is not. I mean, it's not like. That's a requirement, or even that it's a weakness that it's not here, but it is something you expect from a Tarantino film. Uh, and also, I this movie to me is um, much more nostalgic. Oh yeah, and honestly, sweeter. It's it. There is it's a much more um, yeah a sentimental film than yeah. anything else he's done. Yeah, it's got two parallel stories going on. The first has to do with uh, the actor. The Kind of a faded. He's he's got a crossroads it's in his a fading, career. A fading yeah, actor. Fading actor and is um, Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Who's great. Oh, he is great. 
Um, and he's best friends with his stunt double, mm-hmm. Cliff Booth, mm-hmm. who's uh, Brad Pitt, who's mm-hmm. also very good. It really, everybody in the whole cast yeah. is great. And apparently one of Tarantino's inspirations for the, the two male characters were Burt Reynolds and his relationship with Hal Needham, who was his longtime stuntman. And Hal Needham, of course, later became a writer and director. He did Smokey and the Bandit and some others after he got a little bit too old to keep doing the stunts. But they had a long-time relationship, both working together, they lived together, and they were best friends forever. And that relationship is uh, is at least part of the inspiration for this, these two characters of Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. So uh, as they are negotiating, are they going to fade away? Or are they going to have a, a second act of their career? You've also got the parallel story, which is a somewhat based on true events story of Sharon Tate and the Manson family murders. And this happens to be the 50, coming up on the 50th anniversary. Next month. Of the, yeah, of the, of the Manson family murders. So as those two stories parallel each other and get closer and closer to coming into, into contact, I think he's using both of those to get nostalgic, yes, because this film is so steeped in the pop culture of the time. Yeah. Um, but also to kind of use the Manson family murders as a line in the sand, sort of a marker as to the everything e- changed. End, everything the the end of the era of flower power innocence, yeah. all peace and love. Yeah. Uh, and also that time that same era marked the end of the golden age, quote unquote, of Hollywood and the studio machine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and he is, as you said, nostalgic about it. I mean, and there's a and also one of the things that there are few filmmakers who are as overt in their love of movies, mm-hmm. good and bad. And, and his love of feet. Yeah, and his love of feet. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, his foot this, fetish is everywhere in this, this one. This was maybe the most foot-centric movie. I mean, holy but I, moly. I think it was inevitable that eventually he would make uh, a movie about movies. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you, you you can find his love of spaghetti westerns mm-hmm. in Django Unchained, and you can find his love of, obviously, martial arts films, especially sort of trashy martial arts films in the, the Kill Bill movies. And, and and those both come into play here as well. Yes, they do. They do. But it, it, it almost seems like it really was, uh, eventually, he was going to have to write a movie about making movies. And right. one of the things I, I love about this particular film is that one of the great, one of his great strengths is in world building. Mm-hmm. You know, he drops you in a very lived in completely yeah. articulated world in all of his films, but in this one, it's so specific to a to a time period and to basically like a you know a, a several mile uh, radius, and it's it couldn't be more absolutely drenched mm-hmm. with the pop cultural references of that time. Yeah, and that's why to me it feels a little bit of an outlier uh, to his films. Maybe in a lot of ways it's similar to Hateful Eight in that it's pacing. Some of the the shots are just they're so long and deliberate as someone just riding in a car listening to the radio. But those types of takes, they just, as you just said, they immerse you in this time and this place. It's nothing but the commercials of the day, both real and fake. Yep. The movie posters of the day, the songs of the day, the marquees, the marquees, everything just drops you in this world. And so you give into it and. It makes the third act, once you get to everything exploding, that much more effective. Because there will be people that you, I can anticipate some viewers thinking it 
there's lulls here. Yeah. I mean, there are real aimless, some some wandering. Yeah. But then that third act really explodes. Well, that's another thing that I, I feel like uh, so many of Tarantino's films, uh, there's brutal violence, mm-hmm. but it's peppered throughout. That's not the case here. Well, there is a lot of, you know, sort of fun hand-to-hand because the because Brad Pitt's character plays a stuntman. Right, right. You know, um, and so there's some fisticuffs, mm-hmm. but... But you don't get that explosion of violence. It's all held for the end, and it is wow. I mean, and and because unlike his other films, uh, you don't see any of it until then. I mean, it pops even more. Yeah, and it's a little different than I thought how it treats the Manson family. Yes. Uh, I think the trailers led me to believe a certain way that didn't really come to fruition. Mm-hmm. But I do like the way, especially some of the shots. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but you, he really frames it in a way that is creepy mm-hmm. and cultish because yeah. that's what they were. Especially, yeah, when when they're on the Spawn Ranch. Yes, yes. Yeah, that is, uh, that is a really eerie and well-crafted sequence. Not that Tarantino is unlikely to put together a well-crafted sequence, but as you <laughs> were saying after we saw it, you know, uh, one scene will really sort of mimic a certain type of film, and then the next scene will really mimic a different type of film. Oh, yeah. Which is, which he, he, does is, he always yeah. does. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's interesting that because this movie is about filmmaking and about Hollywood, it seems like he's drawing your attention to it. It seems a little bit over the top because he wants you to notice that because mm-hmm. it is really like a big mash note to Hollywood. Yeah. But the, the Spawn Ranch segment is the most unnerving yeah. of of the of those in the film. Yeah, it really is. And we mentioned DiCaprio's performance, Brad Pitt's performance. Now Margot Robbie, who we haven't mentioned yet, she plays Sharon Tate. She does. And she's also very good. Everybody is good mm-hmm. in this. They they really are. And of course it's a Tarantino film, so you're going to see a lot of familiar faces and people Maybe unexpected people pop up in smaller roles. Yeah. I mean, you'll see some faces that you know, but maybe you can't quite uh, get their name. Uh, they just pop in and out playing different, some some fictional characters, some real people, yeah. because it is Hollywood of the day. Mm-hmm. You're going to have, uh, like, Steve McQueen, a character is in there, and Connie Stevens, mm-hmm. and some others, you know, golden age Hollywood actors. But you've even got Luke Perry, yeah. who shows up, who I, I imagine this will probably be his final yeah, yeah. film performance. Lena Dunham. Yeah, I didn't Lena expect Dunham. to see yeah, her. Exactly. I um, didn't either. And you've got both uh, both Kevin Smith's daughter and Johnny Depp's daughter, I think, are both in it. I know uh, Kevin Smith's daughter was. Johnny Depp's might be. I don't remember. I, but I thought, Uma Thurman's daughter is oh, in it. Yes, exactly. Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter mm-hmm. is in it. So there's a lot of people, if you don't recognize their faces, just scroll the uh, the cast IMDb list at page, the end. Yeah. Uh, and actually, it's funny. There's a, there's a name at the end of the cast list who... He's a well-known actor, and he it says he was cut. He was left off. His his scenes were put on the cutting room floor, but they put him in the credits. Yeah, they did. So. <laughs> He's part of the quote the gang the when gang. they divide up the, yeah. the credits. I want to circle back though to uh, to Margot Robbie and Sharon Tate because I feel like what um, you know what guff the film has generated so far has yeah. has been about that right about. Uh, is it crass to have Sharon Tate as a character in your film? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, is is Margot Robbie's performance is she diminished? Is she so? There are a couple things, and, and is it just in poor taste to have Sharon Tate? Now, this, as we said, this is the 50th anniversary, mm-hmm. uh, and this is, in fact, and, and the other two have been a little bit, I suppose, independent and certainly didn't have the same kind of splash uh, that that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood got. But this is the third. Manson Family film we've seen this summer. Mm-hmm. So this is the third Sharon Tate that we've seen this summer. So I do find it a little unusual that people are complaining that Sharon Tate is a character in this film because 
Um, because I don't think it's uncommon for us to see uh, a, a person who was murdered as a character in a, in a film about their murder. So I'm not entirely certain where the idea that that's disrespectful comes from. I don't think it is. Uh, the camera ogles her to maybe too much of a degree. But then what he does quickly is, and who doesn't, ogles Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. The camera ogles Brad Pitt, and, and he parallels the two in, in a lot of ways. So I think that gets him out of some of, of I think, that, but he's got a he's got a leering way. Uh, Tarantino just does. He always has, and so I think that is one of the reasons that people have a little bit of an issue with this. And then the other thing is, that although Margot Robbie's great, she's always great. Yeah. Her character character is doesn't have any. Um, there's no depth. She's very much uh, one dimensional, just effervescent, mm-hmm. beloved, bright spot in every scene. Um, I think that there's a narrative reason for that that you understand at the end. Because basically, by the end of the film, what you have is, once upon a time in Hollywood, you have a fairy tale. Yeah. So she's the fairy tale princess in the fairy tale. Um, I agree. And, and so I, well, I'm not 100% saying all of these complaints are invalid. I do think that there's reason to be skeptical about the complaints. Yeah, and it's not just Sharon Tate. Really, all the uh, victims, all of Charles Manson's victims are characters here mm-hmm. uh, in this. Uh, yes. She's the most... The most uh, notable, notable, yeah, and it's also interesting to me because there's a scene you should. They show a little bit of bit of it in the trailers where she goes in to watch her own movie. Yeah, when she was in one of those Dean Martin, Matt Helm movies back in the day. But and so they show parts of that movie in this movie, and you see the real Sharon Tate. Yeah, you know they don't do one of those things where, where they, they superimpose. Yeah, now that would to me that would have felt. I agree. I agree. Disrespectful. It would have. Uh, and I loved that she was watching her own movie and that she was really the she was enjoying the reaction her character mm-hmm. was getting from the from the crowd. And and I liked the whole interaction of her trying to get into her own movie I and how too. yeah yeah I, I mean but he's a great filmmaker and you know write what you know he knows movies mm-hmm. so uh, I, I would not put this one you know at the top of the list for sure no. of Tarantino films no I wouldn't um, either but uh, uh, but it's enjoyable it is it is enjoyable and it just takes a little bit I think it takes a little bit of, of getting used to of a, to, to the, the the pace that he's He's working with, and the different, you mentioned, the different sort of dialogue, because we come in, like I mentioned at the top, we kind of, when we talk about Tarantino, we kind of assume everybody, you know what I'm talking about here, when I'm talking about a Tarantino movie. Um, and so, yeah, you come with it with certain expectations, and they aren't all here. Some, no. of, some of them are. Yeah. You'll, you'll see the trademarks, but some are a little bit different, and I think that's fine. And uh, there's also... Well, obviously, you can't just pigeonhole a guy that no. he's got to make the same movie well, again and exactly again. Right. So, yeah. That's exactly right. Just because that sort of dialogue that we're used to, that Pulp Fiction type dialogue, Kill Bill type dialogue, mm-hmm. uh, you can do it other ways, mm-hmm. and he does it other ways here. These are certainly more more heavy, like, rumination type of, type of uh, conversing. And some foreshadowing, too, especially with some of the song choices yes. of the day that they Absolutely. used. And really not even, in some cases, not even foreshadowing, but commenting on the scene as it's going on yeah. with the lyrics of the songs that they use. And I do say their usage of uh, that Neil Diamond, Brother Loves Traveling Salvation Show, that's a song that is getting a second life. And really, when you hear it in this context, you're like, yeah, that's a cool song. I <laughs> uh, haven't heard it for years and started hearing it in the trailer, and it, it fits so well, well in, in this song, I mean, in this I know, uh, movie, I mean. It's, it, he is uh, he, he's an inspired master when yes. it comes to the soundtrack to his films, obviously. Yeah, and just the whole time stamping yes. that, that he does, mm-hmm. and he does it so well here. And it's it's also a good bit of humor um, yeah. especially with uh, Brad, Brad Pitt's, Pitt's character. character, the way he 
contrast to his buddy and mm-hmm. really employer, yeah. which is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and how he has to navigate his life not being a star but being employed because he's uh, the coattails of a star. Yeah. And really, that can transcend not just the movie business. Anyone who has ever known trying, just you know, just trying to make it yeah. uh, in a way, it's got that working class struggle, and you've got you've reached a certain age, and you have to make certain choices yeah. about your career. Mm-hmm. That comes into play here, but it's certainly all about Hollywood and all about the golden age of Hollywood. And I don't think, I mean, I think all the performances are quite good, but DiCaprio stands out. It's um, it's it's a it's a really nuanced interesting character that he creates and uh, his character changes more than the others yeah and he's I and mean, he's very insecure but he's mm-hmm. not unlikable he's you know he's prone to crying it's it's <laughs> a it, and he's he's a goofball mm-hmm. and uh and 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 i've said this before uh, uh the revenant aside my favorite dicaprio performance of all time is in django unchained mm-hmm. which is not a huge uh role for him but it was so different yeah. from everything else he had done just this vainglorious moron <laughs> hilarious yeah. you know uh, do not spare the rum he was so good in that and it's not the same obviously in this but he 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 brings in um uh, a little bit of of He's not so self-serious in these films, you know, and and I loved it. I thought he was great in this movie. And this this part gives him the chance to work through more emotions yeah. than the other lead characters. Not that Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie aren't very good. They are. It's just this is the part that allows him to grow and change throughout the course of the movie more than the others do. Right. And he's incredibly impressive. And we really enjoyed it. Like Like you just said, we wouldn't put it at the top. Of our no. Tarantino list of nine. No, I'd, but, I'd uh, put it around the middle, to but be honest it, it with you. it certainly wouldn't be down at with Death Proof. <laughs> uh, although, I, th- I think you like Death Proof I better like than I do. I Death Proof. I don't love it, but I like it. But, would, that you be, know. would it be number nine in your y- no- Yes. Okay, well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> I liked it, but it's still number nine. Well, that's the thing. It's the it's you know it, it, what's the worst Paul Thomas Anderson movie? It's right. better than anything anybody else made. Yeah. But it's... <laughs> I just still think Death Proof is a real. I know what he was trying to do, but boy, that one, as far as the dialogue goes, just talks itself out of my interest. Uh, to be honest with you, but that's that's another show, and that's years ago. <laughs> this week, it's all about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I do anticipate some. Well, we've, we've said that before. Not everybody's going to like everything, of course. No. But uh, I think I can definitely see some people who are bored by it. by, by the, and, not, and not by the time it gets to that third act, just have checked out. But don't check I out. I don't know. Don't I, check out. I don't think so. I, I really not. don't. No. I hope not. I hope not. Just settle in. Enjoy it. And as we said in our written review at MadWolf.com, trust the driver and enjoy the ride. That's <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I also want to talk a little bit about a documentary in limited release this week. It's an in-depth look at the relationship between the late musician Leonard Cohen and his Norwegian muse, Marianne Illen. It's Words of Love, Marianne. It's Marianne and Leonard, Words of Love. The woman who inspired the songwriter and poet Leonard Cohen to write some of his best-known work has died. Dearest Marianne, I'm just a little behind you close enough to take your hand. They had this place for each other till the very end. That's what words of love can do. When your woman becomes her own content and you become her content, that's love. Well, we just talked about being big Tarantino fans. We are both Huge Leonard Cohen fan. Massive Leonard Cohen fans. Wearing my Leonard Cohen t-shirt as we speak because one of our 
one of our most treasured concert ticket stubs. We've got it framed upstairs. We got to see Leonard Cohen on his last tour. The only the only time he ever came to Columbus, Ohio. 2009, mm-hmm. and it was... And then we took our son. The three of us went. It was rapturous. It really was. It was. Fa- in fact, we've, we've run into people. Remember, we were buying his last, uh, before he passed away, his last CD. Yeah. And we were buying it at Barnes & Noble, and the guy we were checking out, the guy that was checking out, looked at us and goes, did you go to that concert? And we're yeah. like, yes, we did. I know, and it's like we all shared all something. Say. Oh, yeah. That's all you got to say. Uh-huh. You shared a moment. Um, if you don't know who Leonard Cohen is, you know the song Hallelujah. If nothing else. He, he wrote it. He was the original uh, artist of that song and so many other great songs and stories and poems and just in, incredible life and incredible work. And this centers the story on his muse, mm-hmm. who inspired so many of his songs. It, including, obviously, So Long, Marianne. And, uh, yeah, Marianne Ellen is, uh, they were together on and off for eight years. They uh, they lived together on the Greek island of, of Hydra uh, during the 60s. Really, when, after he wrote uh, the novel Beautiful Losers, and before he became a musician. Right. Well, she paid the bills while he sat there and wrote every day. And it's a really fascinating. The footage itself is really fascinating uh, because uh, actually, as as Sean Ireland asked us this morning on Good Day Columbus. So how how did they get that? Well, it's because the filmmaker, documentarian Nick Broomfield who's made a number, actually, of documentaries. Well, he, and not only documentaries, but a number of music documentaries yes, yeah. with Biggie and Tupac and and Kurt and Courtney, and he made the one with Whitney, uh, Whitney and he's made a lot of doc. He did that Monster in a Box years ago about Spalding Gray, yeah. that one, so he's a, he's a very well-versed documentarian. But, yeah, he had a personal relationship. Yes, long before he became a documentarian, um, he spent a summer on Hydra and was uh, a lover of Marianne Lentz. And she actually convinced him to make his first documentary. So in a, in a large way, she was his muse. Yeah. So that this is how he had such access because she and he have uh, carried on a, a close friendship right up until her death, which which is, is kind of beautifully rendered in the film. And, and she died just three months before Leonard Cohen, Leonard Cohen died yeah. in 2016. It's so beautifully rendered. It's almost, you feel a little almost too personal, yes. like you're intruding. Exactly. But that's the kind of intimacy that this film has. And it's... It gets some great footage from Leonard Cohen, both in interviews and in backstage stuff, home movie style, and also on stage, because a pivotal point in this movie and a pivotal point in their story was when he was coaxed by Judy Collins. Well, if you believe Judy Collins, if you believe she Judy says Collins she coaxed him. And Marianne, really, yeah, yeah. Uh, to become a singer yeah. and get over his yeah. shyness. Because let's face it, he does not, he never did have a great voice. No, but he wrote the song Suzanne, mm-hmm. and Judy Collins had a big hit with the song mm-hmm. Suzanne. And at one point, she convinced him to get on stage and duet the song with her. And in, according to her, he left halfway through. He just crying. left the stage crying. Yeah. And then she had to go back and convince him to come back out. And then from that moment on, he was a singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that, according to Marianne, ruined their happiness. Right. It's a fascinating look at an artist. If you're a fan, you definitely want to see this. It also is a look at the changing nature of relationships and yeah. how people grow and maybe have to move on. Who knows? It could have been somebody else's relationship. Somebody has to take a job and then they have then they have a different sort of life yeah. that yeah. upsets a happiness. It's it could be anything. So it's a look at relationships. It's a look at. Um, you know, affection over the course of time and yep. over the course of a lifetime and mm-hmm. how 
you touch someone's life, it never really goes away. Yeah. Uh, and when you have people involved in those relationships who are so in tune with expressing their feelings, yeah. then you get this sort of the, the, these sorts of expressions through through art. Yeah. Uh, well, if you love the song, I mean, I have some issues with the film. I think that it abandons Marianne through most of the second act. And while the footage, which is insane and amazing of Leonard Cohen on tour, I, I wouldn't have missed for the world. Uh, it does. It does create a weird imbalance with the documentary just as a film. But if you love the song So Long, Marianne, it, it, this movie is the, is the, is, you know, is the real-life illustration of exactly what he meant in every single line of that song. And an, an incredibly, incredibly touching finale as well. And there's a guy, we've got to mention this guy, who was, <laughs> who was for a long Bill time. Clinton. who was Yeah, who was for a long time Leonard Cohen's guitar player, Ron Cornelius. Yeah. And they met, meet up with him now. And you close your eyes when he is speaking, and it's the best Bill Clinton impersonation <laughs> you've ever heard. He sounds just like him. And he's not trying to do an impersonation. No, he no. sounds just like him. And I'll tell you what, this guy tells some stories. I want a documentary on this yeah, guy. Yeah, not just him, though. That's <laughs> one of the things I want to give uh, Broomfield credit for, is that the talking head footage, yeah. these people are nuts. Yeah. And what they say is just priceless. They got some stories, boy. So uh, even if you're not a fan, if you just like that sort of uh, a look at that sort of lifestyle and, and uh, music, musicians and artistry in the, 60s. It, it's in the 60s, it's worth it. But definitely do not miss it if you're a Leonard Cohen fan. And that is uh, Marianne and Leonard, words of love. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Heading to the lobby, we've got, well, we've got a really good animated film that I think was largely overlooked, overlooked. called Missing Link. Um, not only does it look just fantastic, it's that Lakia Studios that did Kubo and the Two yeah. Strings Enough. Man, gorgeous. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous film. But I think the story is also very engaging. The lead voices are Zach Galifianakis and Hugh Jackman. And I think maybe what kind of torpedoed this movie was it might be the story is just a little too adult yes and the the humor yeah a little subdued mm -hmm. like this is not a slapstick adventure and it's funny because there are definitely different times where it could have been yeah and because it, it's a, it's an odd couple basically adventure uh, and they seem to sort of tamp it down a little mm. bit and but it is it's an incredibly glorious film to look oh. at when they get to when they find the yetis and the leader of the yetis is emma thompson <laughs> uh, every she should voice something in every animated film ever she's so great she, in this movie and she's in movies that aren't being seen a lot this year but she's having a great she year she is having a great year remind you what a great talent she is so we both liked it a lot Very so if much. you missed it in the theaters but if you have a four-year-old they may not yeah, stay interested that's I, true you know and it is going to lose a bit on a smaller screen but still it's worth seeing but boy if you could find it at all it's still on a big screen it looks just gorgeous also out this week disappointment for us hellboy the reboot well we were hopeful for this because filmmaker Neil Marshall hasn't made a movie yeah. in quite a while, but he's made a couple of our very favorites, including The Descent, which yeah. is among the all-time scariest horror films. So we were really excited to see what he could do with Hellboy. You know right away he's going to suffer by comparison because of the great Guillermo del Toro, who did the first mm -hmm. two. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people really miss Ron Perlman, although I don't think that's the problem. No, the problem here is in the writing and directing. Yeah, it's David Harbour takes over the role, and he's known right... He's been in a ton of stuff, but yep. right now he's known for Stranger, Stranger things. things. Yeah, he takes over, but yeah, he's really not the problem. No. Uh, and, you know, I've heard from some 
comic book aficionados that this is closer. Okay, I don't know. Maybe no. maybe it is, but it doesn't make for a better film. It, no, it does not. Uh, the the storyline is is not very good. The performances are not very good, and mainly it's the direction. The direction can't, and it's an R rated film. The direction he can't decide if he's making something funny, making something zany, making something serious, making something, you know, sentimental. He can't making a horror film. He can't decide, and it just changes from scene to scene. There are there is one really great scary scene with uh, Baba Yaga and then there's one really gorgeous looking scene and other than those two scenes the the movie is garbage yeah so we were quite disappointed with the new Hellboy also out this week on home video Master Z Ip Man Legacy Matt Weiner reviewed this for us and he's a lot more uh, familiar with the uh, the Ip Man series yes, of films I was not no no, it's got a great cast, mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh, uh, and also Dave Bautista, who comes in. So they're not in the rest of the films, but but Dave Bautista comes in as the heavy in this one. And it's got the same kind of, like, really great martial arts work that you'd expect from this series, but it's kind of a, why did we bother with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a, it's a formula, but they really do it well. So I think uh, if you're a fan of this, especially if you're a fan of the series, mm-hmm. definitely want to check that out. It's out on home video this week. Next week, whoo, a lot more busy. So if they didn't put anything out against Tarantino, what does it mean that this many movies are coming out against Hobbs and Shaw? <laughs> yeah, I guess they're not ex- expecting much from uh, Hobbs and Shaw. But, you know, it's always been our favorite part of the Fast and Furious franchise. Yes. So we'll see about Hobbs and Shaw next week. Also a film that we just saw a couple of days ago that we'll talk about next week called The Farewell. And one that we will watch the moment we get home called Them That Follow. Cannot wait. Also, Leo Da Vinci, Mission Mona Lisa. An animated film. I know nothing about Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) Sort of Trust, which is Mark Maron, Mm -hmm. uh, indie comedy. Lose, which is a horror movie that I really, really liked. And Brainiac, which is a documentary about a Dayton-based punk band. Ooh, very nice. So we'll check those out. Next week, this week, let us know what you thought about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because there's a lot to digest there. And as with most Tarantino films, a lot to talk about. So we love to get your opinion. Love to keep the conversation going on Twitter. That's the easiest way you can find us on Twitter at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And you can always find all of our written reviews and other fun stuff like our horror movie only podcast, Fright Club, on our main website which is madwolf.com. So we always appreciate you hitting up the screening room. I was going to say dialing it up, but you really don't do that anymore. No. We appreciate you listening. <laughs> Wherever it is that you listen, if you would take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, we would appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. So until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.